Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. So we were talking about Proverbs in the weeks prior, and then the last time I was up here, we were talking about passing things on to your children, just like David and Bathsheba did in Proverbs. They were passing along wisdom to their children. And so we talked the last time I was here about passing things on to your children. We talked about uh, old things like um, work ethic, responsibility, respect, self-control, generosity, ethics, finances, excellence, you know, and those are all wonderful things. And, you know, I want you to know that that we talk about these kind of things for a lot of reasons, not because, you know, we think that that kids are so bad and parents aren't doing a good job, but we, we do this kind of thing. Number one, to validate and acknowledge what you are doing. And number two, to encourage you in the doing of it. You know, parenting can be stressful. No. <laughs> yeah, it can. Uh, I remember the day that, that my children were grown and gone out of the house, and I suddenly thought one day, went, wow, there's that pressure that used to be there that just doesn't seem like it's there anymore. And we realized it's because my children are grown now. It's not the same. It's not the 24-7 job that it was, you know, for many, many years. And then thirdly, we want to help you make any adjustments where they're needed. Because honestly, we have some wonderful children around here. And the reason we have wonderful children is because we have some people who are doing a good job at parenting. But you know, you always need help. You always need encouraging. No matter how old your children are, you need encouraging. And, uh, and knowing that you're, what you're doing will pay off. You know, for, it's for their benefit that we did. That's what David and Bathsheba gave all these, this advice to Solomon for, so that was, he could prosper and be a success in life. And that's what we do this for. And uh, I'm just, I'm just uh, you know, amazed and proud of so many of the parents we've got and the children. I mean, we've looked at, at this. We're on our third generation here after 38 years. You know, we've seen kids come and go. We've seen kids who've grown up here. We've seen the things that they've done, you know, as, as they've grown and their accomplishments and then getting married, having more children and, you know, all of that and how they're doing, how they're raising their children. You know, God's word works. Following God's plan works. You know, there's proof sitting before me that it works. Amen. So, tonight, we're kind of, I just can't get away from the concept of Proverbs, you know, about wisdom in, in a lot of areas. And we talked about children before, but I'm going to talk about children again tonight. But tonight, we're going to talk about praying for your children. And uh, I've got four pages of notes here. I promise you, I am not going to do but half of this tonight. And let's hope I get at least halfway. We'll see how far we get. You know, but you might say, well, I don't have children. Well, listen, you come into contact with children. It's very possible. Now, now at any age, your children still need your prayers. Whether they're young, they're toddlers, they're elementary age, middle school age, high school age, college age, married, or whether they're old as the hills already. They still need your prayers. If you're still living... You're still a parent, and they still need your prayers, no matter what, because, but the prayers change. As they grow older, maybe the, the emphasis you put on one area or another becomes a little different. 
And so some of these things will just, you know, they'll make sense to you. And you, you modify them for that, for that age group of children that you have. And, um, you know, I, I've seen people in this church, especially who've taken on a prayer project, a young person. I know Miss Iris prayed for a certain young man for years, absolutely for years. He's not even a part of her family. And yet God laid that young man on her heart. And she prayed for him diligently for a number of years. Many of you out there, God has laid children of this church, you know, somebody, or maybe somebody, you know, maybe, maybe you're in the school system. I know, you know, Leslie and, and uh, my daughter-in-law, Amy, are, are both working at the school. And, and God just has them, you know, praying for certain children at certain times, you know, about, about things. I mean, there's, there's a lot of need in the world, not just for our children amongst us, but for children out there who have, don't have parents who know how to pray that don't know anything about the Word of God. They need somebody to pray. They need somebody to stand in the gap for them so that they have a chance in life. If nobody ever prays, what chance do they stand? And you don't ever know, you know, like in a school situation, uh, maybe you only have contact with that child for one school year. You don't know what kind of an impact you might make in them for that one year. Just, just that one year. You know, it, it could be even a shorter amount of time. But when God puts somebody on your heart, especially a child, pray for them. Let, let God just use you because you don't know their circumstances always. Maybe you have an idea. Maybe you know it's not a good situation at home. But pray. And you might look at some child and feel like, I need to pray for them. And you think, well, they're a good home. You, you still don't know everything. You just be led by what's on the inside to pray. But we're going to be talking about this. And, you know, as the most, as the most important thing is you can do for your, your children is to pray for them. It's not, I'm going to give you nine different categories, and I'm not here to say that that's, these are all nine that you should even, you know, put on your list. But a list doesn't need to become just that, a list. It doesn't need to become a formula. Okay, I've checked off this, I've checked off this, I've checked off this. I've checked. No. You know, here's some basic things to pray over your children. You know, and you could pray them daily. Or you could just be led each day of what things they need for today. What is it they need today, Lord? What, what, what's most important? Where, where can I focus my, my prayer today? You know, and, and it's just, it doesn't happen just in the mornings as you send them out the door. It could happen during the, during the day at any point, at any time. Suddenly you're just quickened by the Holy Ghost, you know, to pray for them. But you need to pray the Word. You need to pray in the Spirit. And it all needs to be led by the Spirit. It doesn't need to become dry and, like I said, just a formula that we follow in praying for them. But something that really comes from our heart, they need what you have so much. Um, it's, it's, it can be life and death. You know, we're going to talk about some of these areas, and, and I, I see, you know, some things that, you know, over the years that, that we've done and that made a huge difference in immediate manner and some other things that made a difference in the long term. So, you know, you just modify how you pray and what you pray to the stage of life that they're in, to the situations they find themselves in, to, you know, age they're, they're in. You know, those are the things you, that you just do because you're led by the Spirit. So number one, I, I kind of wanted to put these in, in what I considered the biggest order, you know, of things. And number one, you need to, you need to pray that they comprehend the love of God the Father. 
that they come to a complete and a full understanding of how much God loves them. Go with me to Ephesians, the third chapter. Hallelujah. Now, you seem real quiet tonight. I don't know if you've been having a busy, tiring week or not, but this is important. And, and I want you to be alert. I want you to be receptive. I want you to be taking it in because this is potentially life-saving to them. It's important. You can pray it as a mother, as a father, as a grandparent, as an aunt, as an uncle, you know, as a relative, as a friend. You can pray it for these children. If God puts it on your heart, that's your child for that moment, even if you're not related to them, even if you don't know them. If God says pray for them, that's your child. That's your responsibility for that moment. But anyway, here in Ephesians, let me find my glasses. This will make my life easier. I won't squint so much. Ephesians 3, hallelujah, and we're going to verses 14, Uh, let's see, it says, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who better to pray to than somebody who's a father already? of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant unto you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. The message translation of that says, And I ask him that both feet be planted firmly in love. You'll be able to take in with all Christians the extravagant dimensions of of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, live in the fullness of God. And then you go over to Romans 8. Hallelujah. Romans 8. Starting in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, for we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, it's because of God's love that we experience his grace and his mercy on a continual basis. It's because of his love that that grace, that divine influence on our heart, that that thing that reflects in our lives can be seen. It's that grace that comes in that helps us with, with the ability to resist the enemy to resist the temptations of this world, to resist all the, the things the flesh wants us to do. You know, it's, it's part and parcel of God's love. I was not raised necessarily to know that God is always good. But see, 
There are people in this world who don't know what real love is all about. They come from, they come from homes. They come from places and situations where that word love is just a vague concept because they've never experienced what it's like for somebody to really, 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 really love them. These children comes from, some children can come from dysfunctional places where they're looked at as more of a burden than a blessing where they're looked at as, as just trouble, where they're looked at as an inconvenience, why would somebody abort a baby? Why? I, 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 have, to, I have to think that they never knew love themselves to be able to do such a thing. As a pregnant 16-year-old, that was, that was a ch- option I had. You know, it was legal in the state of New York. We could have gone to New York, could have, could have gotten rid of that. But in my heart, I knew it was the wrong thing to do. There was something about, about, about the responsibility of this life that was not mine that I had to care for and protect. And see, there, there are children who don't understand that there's somebody in this world who loves them enough to care for them and protect them. And babies that have been aborted will only know that in a heavenly sense. I, be, I believe they're in heaven experiencing the love of God. They never had the opportunity to experience the love of a parent, a natural parent. But what kind of person does that? I mean, you know, I, I realize that there are times when, when someone gets caught up in situations and, and circumstances that they're just overwhelmed and they make a decision, you know, that, that just later they regret so badly, you know, and, and thank God for his forgiving power that he can get them through that. You know, but then there are, there are other people who just, you know, it's like some form of birth control. That I don't understand. Where is the love? Where is the love that you should have had as a child that would cause you to say, I got myself in this mess, I got myself in this predicament, but this child deserves to live? See, there are people out there who don't know that. But God's love is something that needs to be demonstrated to them every single day. Something they need to be constantly assured of. It. I've had people over the years say to me, it's, it was hard for me to trust God because I'd never experienced the love of a parent. I'd never experienced what a father was really like. We need to make sure that we have, we pray that our children always understand how much God loves them. What he's done for them. Who they are what belongs to them, what they can have just because they're a child of God. Hallelujah. They need to know that he's good. They need to know that he's good all the time. His goodness is a result of his love. His goodness is a result of what he's done for us. It's already been demonstrated when he sent Jesus. But we, you know, we just need to make sure our children know that. And we need to pray that they have an understanding, the eyes of their understanding are being enlightened on a daily basis so that they know how much God loves them. Listen, I think if you and I always had a, a, a constant, ongoing revelation of how much God loves us, I think it would in some ways be so much easier to resist the things that we do that we shouldn't do. Because my father loves me so much, he wouldn't want me to do that. He loves me so much, I don't want him to feel like he's wasted his love on, on me with the behavior I'm exhibiting. God's going to love us in spite of it. Yeah, but sometimes I think if we really understood how much he loves us, 
on a continual basis, it would help keep our feet on the right path a lot of times. It would help keep our hearts in the right place at times. It would help keep our actions at the right place. You know, in Psalms 84, 11, it says, No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. No good thing. In James 1, 7, this is, one, this is such a great verse. Just go over there with me. James 1. Hallelujah. And when people understand this, they begin to understand where things that aren't good come from. It says in verse 17 of chapter 1, James, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, no shadow of turning. God is a good God. And they need to know that. They need to be assured of and established in this because, you know, life can put things in you so that you begin to think of yourself in a different way than God sees you. And so when somebody knows how much God loves them and how he views them and what he wants to do for them, that can change their mindset. And in, in uh, Proverbs 23, 7, it says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's all what's in his heart. How you think down here, how you see yourself, how you view yourself has got to be viewed through the lens of the love of God. It's got to be. Because if you don't, you'll never see yourself for who you are to him. You'll never see how valuable you are. You'll never see how precious you are. You'll never see how vital you are to God in this earth if you don't understand the love of God and comprehend that love to the full depths that he wants you to see it. That's why Paul prayed that prayer. That's why he was praying that prayer for, for the Ephesians. And that's why we should continually pray it over our children. They understand, they understand how much God loves them. They understand how much I love them. You know, and it's in everything I'm going to tell you tonight, as you pray for, for these, these different areas of your children's lives, you are also the example of walking these things out. You have to... You know, somebody told me one time that the best way to train somebody, another person, is called tell, show, and do. You tell them about it, you show it to them, and then you do it. You have them do something. And so they can experience that. And uh, I think that needs, that's the same thing that they, children need today. They need to be told about the love of God. They need to be, have the love of God demonstrated to them. You know, that, that's, that's all on our end. That's all on our end. You know, I know it's frustrating sometimes. And, you know, I, I, I used to think, you know, years ago when our kids were all younger and, and Melanie had four kids, and I thought, please, God, tell me. She yells at her kids every so often, please, please. <laughs> she looks like she's got so much patience, and I have, don't have any today. Please tell me that, I, you know, there's light. <laughs> I can live up to this standard. <laughs> But I found out, yeah, she yells at them too. It's okay. <laughs> you know, so that we have our moments. You know, but you always go back and you just, you know, make sure your kids know you love, even when you're frustrated with them, even when you're disappointed in them, even when you get angry, you have to go back and you have to apologize. When you've demonstrated something in front of them that you shouldn't have, you go back and you, you, you make it good. You know, that's, that's just life, you know. When you, as parents, you kind of give yourself 
Don't be so hard on yourselves, but yet expect a lot of yourself. You know, there's no reason to set the, the standard low, set the standard high. You know, what's good is a low standard if you meet it and go, oh, okay, okay, I did that. What's good is that? Set the standard high. Aim for the moon. Shoot for the moon. My goodness, there are no perfect parents. Nowhere. I don't think. I don't know. I, I, I remember Connie Becker, ain't tell, Connie Dunn, telling me one time when her, when her parents were alive that she'd never heard them say, never heard them have an argument. And I'm going, oh, my word. Lord, what an example. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know, now, I don't know of anybody else that I can say that I've ever heard, had that comment made. You know, in all my years, I don't think I've ever heard except the Beckerings. And they were sweet people. They really were. I'm thinking, well, probably they had their moments, but they did it in private. You know, I don't, I don't know. Connie, you can, you can tell me if you know anything about that or not. But they were wonderful people. But, you know, we just we need to know that we're going to make mistakes as parents. But fortunately, with all the mistakes that we make as parents, when our children are grown, they still love us. <laughs> They still love us. They still think we're good. They still think we're wonderful. They still think that we did, you know, that we were the great parents, that kind of stuff. And you think, I remember a whole lot of times I wasn't so great. You know, but thank God the memory is wiped out, it looks like. You know? <laughs> Amen. Number two, I want, you, I want you to pray for your children so that they maintain a tender heart toward the things of God. What do I mean by that? A tender heart, a teachable heart, a heart that's quick to repent, a heart that's quick to receive instruction, a heart that's quick to receive correction, a heart that's quick to receive rebuke if necessary, a heart that maintains an appreciation and a love for the things of God, not take it for granted. You know, growing up as a teenager, I mean, I was raised in church. And the church was the first place my parents took me after I was born. And I was in church all the time. And especially being raised in a pastor's home, you were at church all the time. I mean, for us, church was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night. And when you had revivals, you know, they were two and three weeks long at a time, and you didn't take Saturday night off. You know, so I was in church constantly, all the time. But as a teenager, I got hard-hearted. I got cold to the things of God because I took things for granted. Now, you know, there's another side to that. I didn't see the victory that people talked about in people's lives. It wasn't demonstrated. You know, our family looks like they were just as bad off financially as everybody else's. Our family was just as sick as everybody else's out there in the world. And to, to me, it, it just, it didn't seem like you're talking about God, but it doesn't seem like it makes any difference. You know, I don't, I don't know what the big deal is. Got hard-hearted. Do you know people can sit in church and get hard-hearted? Just get cold to the things of God. I've, we've known of, of, of kids who've grown up in the same churches that we grew up in where the Spirit of God moved and the power of God was in demonstration that just after a while thought it was just so much nothing. Just cold and hard to the things that God wanted to do in them. So their, their heart was not tender. You know, for someone to keep a tender heart, you know, just like David, man, 
it's, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Well, what does that mean? We, we, we kind of look at that as that he was constantly in pursuit of God, that God just loved him and he loved God. But, you know, I think there was more to it than that. He loved God to the extent that when confronted with his wrong, he was quick to say, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. And then to do what it took to correct a situation. And that's what we need to do. We need to be so tender-hearted and teach our children to be tender-hearted. You know, children come in all forms, all sizes, all variations, you know, of everything, all personalities. You know, and the thing that I see mostly in, in each child is that you need to get a hold of their heart. When you're disciplining them, you need their heart. You need to find out what gets to their heart. For some, it might be a spanking. For some, it might be just a word of rebuke. I mean, when Mia was a baby, you just get on to her, Papa, get on to her, and she was just dissolve into tears. I'm not sure it's quite that way today, but <laughs> yeah, it probably is. Uh, her Papa is, you know, the light. And so, so for some children, you know, just a simple word of, you know, correction will just melt their hearts. Some, you know, they've got that stubbornness, you know, and it takes a little more to get through to them, and you've got to get to another level to get through to that heart, you know, and sometimes it takes some real hands-on experience there. But whatever it takes, you, you need to find out what it takes. Prayer, number one, and then action on your part, number two, because you need to make sure that heart stays tender as they're growing up. If it stays tender toward you as they grow up, it'll stay tender toward the things of God. Well, you know, there comes a day when we take our hands off our children as far as telling them what to do and orchestrating and ordering their lives, and God has to take over. They have to be ready to let him take that dominion in their lives, and they won't if they're not tender-hearted. They will decide to do it their own way. They'll decide to, to ignore the instruction that they've seen over the years, the instruction that they've heard. They'll, they'll, they'll decide they can, they can ignore the voice of the Spirit that's on the inside of them. But, you know, we need to make sure that at every stage of their lives we pray that they stand, stay tenderhearted and do whatever we can in the natural realm to ensure that that tenderness is still there. You know, you don't... Harshness will, will harden hearts. You know, you can, you, can, you can let bitterness creep into your heart. Envy, you can let ha come into your heart. That's not tender-hearted. You know, you go over to the, the book of Mark, and of course there's companion scriptures in, in Matthew and in Luke. The parable of the sower talks about the, the different places that the word is sown. You know, word that's sown on the, way, on, the, on the wayside and in stony ground and among the thorns. And then there's good ground. See, it's all about the condition of the heart. You know, it's more important than you know. You know, and, and don't be fooled by these kids. They're good sometimes at hiding, you know, how they really feel. And there are times when I believe God can, can get a hold of you as a, as a parent when that child's having a heart issue and can begin to tell you, 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 got, you, got, you need to pray right along here. You need to spend some time in prayer about this situation. It's a heart issue. It's not necessarily a discipline issue. It's a heart issue. 
It's a heart issue. There's something wrong here. And that's where you spend some time praying about what, what can we do to change this, Lord? What can I pray? What can I do, you know, naturally to, to help change this? Because it's going to cost them. You know, if this doesn't change, you know, it's, it's all about that heart. When they, when they begin to get too involved in the things of the world, it's a heart issue. When they become hardened to wanting to come to church, it's a heart issue. When they just kind of let things kind of come and just walk out and with no change, it's a heart issue. And so we need to pray. You know, they stay tenderhearted toward the things of God. Psalm 66, 18, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You know, that's why you've got to keep them tenderhearted. Psalm 73, 21 says, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my wounds, in my reins. You know, listen, a tender heart. You can tell when somebody's got a tender heart. A person with a tender heart, a child with a tender heart, will always respond quickly and appropriately. That's how you can tell. And when they don't respond quickly and appropriately, we have a heart issue to deal with. And it just takes training. They're influenced by a lot of things. They're influenced by you, by the people that they surround themselves with in the environments that they're in, whether it be school, TV, video games, movies. I, I think we've, we've become very lax in the things that we allow our children to be influenced by. Oh, it's just a few cuss words. Well, it, it, they hear that at school all the time. Well, not in my home, they don't. So why bring that in? Well, I don't cuss like that. Why you bring something in that does? Do you want them to keep a tender heart? And you have to provide an environment for that tender heart to be there. That last verse I read, thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. Another, another translation, the NAB says, says it like this, because my heart was embittered and my soul was pierced, I was stupid and understood not. Uh, some, that's why I love my 26 translations. You can find some great, great versions of this. And verse, uh, Psalm 119, verse 80 said, Let my heart be sound in thy statutes. Some of the other translations use the word, instead of sound, they use the words thorough, perfect, blameless, undivided. Let my heart be perfect in your statutes. Let my heart be blameless in your statutes. Let my heart be undivided. We, we think sometimes that, that kids, you know, oh, they're innocent. You know, they don't have any issues with this. Yeah, they do. Let me, let me give an example of how I know that. It's because you teach them all this stuff. You have them at home for the first four to five years of their lives. And they know they've been trained They've been well-grounded on what we do and what we don't do. Then they go off to school for, a, for a two or three weeks for the very first time, and they come home and they do something that they know better than to do. And you'll say, why did you do that? Well, so-and-so did it. 
We have now become divided. We have a heart that's now divided. They see what they do at home, but they see what's out there. And so then we have to pull the reins in, you know, and go, no, we're going to do this. I remember telling my children as teenagers, you will so-and-so does it. I said, I'm not their mother. I'm not their mother. My boys one time made a statement to me, said, well, dad doesn't have to do that. And I said, I didn't raise him. <laughs> I thought I'd just get that one in just because I wanted to. <laughs> I made them do something. Well, dad doesn't have to do that. Well, I didn't raise him. <laughs> if, he, if I'd raised him, he'd be doing it too. <laughs> uh, see, I have to get my shots where I can, folks. <laughs> Psalm 1914, and we, we, we ministered on this just, I don't know, a few months ago. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. It's a matter of the heart. Keeping a tender heart toward the things of God. Keeping a pure heart. You know, that's where God can really talk to you, is to maintain that tenderness of heart. And honestly, you know, as adults for ourselves, we need to be careful that we maintain a tender heart as well. You know, I'll just go on from there. And nextly, we're going to go to a big subject about praying for wisdom, which I should have done before I made that last statement. <laughs> He's shaking his head. <laughs> that's okay. Because we know from our study of Proverbs that wisdom is an essential, foundational thing. You know, wisdom is used to correct, to discipline, to instruct, to help, to guide. Wisdom affects every area of our lives. Wisdom, you know, Paul prayed it in Ephesians again that we'd have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Um, it, it's, it's not just our spiritual lives, but it's our natural lives, our everyday lives. It's, it, there's as much practicality here as there is spirituality here. You know, when we're talking about wisdom, uh, wisdom, like we said before, you know, in the study of Proverbs is, Proverbs is applying the knowledge you have correctly. You know, in Second Chronicles 1.10, Solomon was wise enough to ask for wisdom. Thank God. You know, and so our children, we need to pray that they, they operate in wisdom all the time. To be intelligent, to be informed, to retain what they learn. That they surround themselves with people who would give them, give them good counsel in all their areas of their lives. You know, as they grow up, there are people and, and things telling them what to do all the time. Not just you, but your voice must be the loudest. Wisdom must come from you, must be instilled in them, must, must be the overriding factor in their lives, regardless of where the other influence is trying to come from. Uh, they need discernment to make wise choices in every situation. You are not always around your children. Even when you bring them to church, you're not with them. They have opportunities to make ch choices in the classrooms that they're in. We want to pray for wisdom that they make the right choices. You need to share with, with Johnny. I don't want to share. No, that's not wisdom. <laughs> that's not the right choice. You know, there's just, there's time that they will be making choices from the day they're born. They really will be. And they need the wisdom of God to make the right choices at the right times. They need, they need to make uh, wise choices when it comes to friends. Oh. You send them off to school. 
You know, and, and you don't always know who they're being buddies with at school. They need wisdom from the earliest days that they, they become friends with the right people. The people who will not pull on them. See, because our children have different personalities, there are, there are children who are leaders, naturally speaking. They're just, they're just natural-born leaders. And they're not going to be influenced by other people. But then there are children who are not leaders. They're more followers. You know, you've got to have followers. You can't have all chiefs, you know, and no Indians. So you, you, you got to have, there are people who are, who are naturally followers, but they don't need to attach themselves to people who are the wrong kind of leader for them, who will lead them into other things that they've got no business being led into. They're going to need wisdom when it comes time to decide for themselves what classes to take what jobs they take, what career paths they take. They're just going to need to make choices as they grow up about what environments to get out of, get into, where, they're, where they're, they're most of their social life is. Is it in a good place or not? You know, there's wisdom that comes in parenting here at this, as they get older. You know about you know who your friends are, your children's friends are. You make every effort to find out who they are, where they are, what kind of families they have. Never, I would never send my children over overnight with anybody I wasn't sure of that I could be, I could be sure of what was going on in their home. Mm, no, not going to do it. And if I began to see that my children were being influenced you know, by somebody else in, in a negative way, pull them out of that. Absolutely, pull them out of that. Put the law down. If they're not capable of making that decision on their own, you help them. You help them by making those wisdoms decisions for them. As they grow older, we allow them to make more decisions for themselves, and if they're using the God kind of wisdom, they'll make the right ones. And if they're not making the right ones, you step in. That's called training. That's exactly what that is. You know, there are times when just you're, you become guilty just by being where you are. Not because you did anything, but because the environment you found yourself in associated you with something that was going on that was wrong. It could be just an element where you get in a bunch of kids. They're out, you know, suddenly somebody pulls out some, some drugs of some kind, marijuana, smoking, drinking, you know, whatever it is. That's, they're going to have to be trained and prayed for on a daily basis that they make the right choices. They have the wisdom to make the right choices. You know, I, uh, I, we have a relative on pastor's side of the family that years ago, um, after he was grown, he was a young man in his 20s, and he started hanging around some people, and he got into, into some uh, I think it was drugs and some alcohol and, and these people he was with decided one night, one day I'm not sure exactly when it was anyway, they were going to rob this cab driver and uh, so they, they called this taxi and, and they decided they were going to rob this man and so he was going to just kind of just be there ended up the cab driver got killed by the other person that he was with and even though he didn't do the killing. He wound up in jail for life. Wound up in jail for life. 
He wasn't guilty of that action, but him being in that environment caused him to suffer the same consequences as the person who was guilty. Listen, your children need to have the wisdom to understand that if they're in the wrong environment, get out. I have many testimonies of, of people who've grown up in this church and they came through their teenage years and they've, and they've come back and said later they found themselves in a situation that was not good and they got themselves out. They left. They found another way home. They called home. Whatever it took, they left. And I'm going, thank you, Jesus. That is the kind of wisdom that we need to pray that our children have every single day. From the time they're young throughout the rest of their lives. Hallelujah. Just getting in the wrong car with the wrong people at the wrong time has cost some good, Christian, God-loving teenagers their lives. Yeah. Somebody who's been drinking has no business driving. You don't have any business hanging around somebody who is drinking and driving. But they got in the car anyway thinking it'd be okay. You never can assume it'll just be okay. If, if you know this is something you shouldn't be doing, don't do it. They need to come to a place where they understand that's godly wisdom. That's God who is, if I have to call mama and call daddy and, and admit that I'm with, with a bunch of people, you know, who were not doing what they should have been doing, I'll do it anyway. I'll get in trouble, but I'll do it anyway because it might save my life. Don't assume. We're going to talk about protection here in a minute. But they need to have wisdom in the things that they say. Not just the things they do, but the things they say. Uh, Proverbs 10.4 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Teach them early to have wisdom about what they say to people and about people. Their tongue needs to be a wholesome tree of life. You know, talk, the Bible in, over in, in the New Testament talks about um, how our conversation should be. Um, uh, somebody help me. Seasoned with salt, and it should minister grace to the hearers. Listen, we need to be a better example of that maybe to our children sometimes. That make sure that the words they hear us say minister grace to the hearers. Amen. Proverbs 10.11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a well of life. Proverbs 10.20 says, The tongue of the just is as choice silver. Proverbs 16, 23 says, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Hmm. The wise man teaches his mouth. You know, your mouth wants to do a lot of things real quickly if you're not careful. One of the most valuable pieces of wisdom you can teach a child about, about what comes out of their mouth is Stop and think about what you're about to say before you say it. You can't pull those words back in. You can't retrieve them. Once they're out there, they're out there. One of the best wisdom, pieces of wisdom I ever gave anybody who's about to get married was know when to say something and know when to, don't, to not say something. The when not to say something is probably more important than when to say something. Sometimes it's just best to leave it unsaid. If it wasn't minister grace... Leave it unsaid. 
Hallelujah. There's so many areas of wisdom. And again, let me just remind you that when you're praying along these lines, let the Holy Ghost lead you in specifics. What, maybe they need wisdom for today. Well, what wisdom do they need today, Lord? How do I pray for wisdom in their life today? How, how will the lack of it affect them? I mean, what, what kind of things can, can, they, can they put wisdom to work in today? Let, just be led by that. Uh, number four, pray for protection over your children. Oh, my heavens, we live in a dangerous time. You know, you know when we were growing up, your kids would get up in the mornings, run out the door in the summertime. You wouldn't see them until lunch or maybe even supper time. They'd come running by through at lunch, grab a sandwich, and off they'd go again. You know, and you'd have to be out there at 5 o'clock going, Steve, Greg, where are you? Come home, it's time to eat. I had no worries about where they were. I had no worries about whether something had happened to them. You know, and that was, that was when my kids were that age. When we were that age, I mean, we just ran, you know, just ran loose all the time. You didn't know where you'd find us. Pastor was, was in Jacksonville, and, and he, could be, he could be far away. You know, if he, especially once he got a bicycle. His mom didn't know where he was, but she wasn't concerned about him. You know, she knew he knew to come home at a certain time. You know, he'd, he'd be back. You know, until the one day somebody came by the house and said, Miss Anderson, is, is Edwin Okay. And she's going, well, yeah, I guess he is. I haven't seen him since this morning. Well, I was just wondering after that, that snake bit him this afternoon. She was out there hollering real quick. <laughs> and when he came home, it was just a little old, what, a little black snake or water, you know, something. And, and he's going, he's going, I'm fine. And she goes, you're just going to sit right here the rest of the afternoon. He was so mad with that friend. <laughs> but as far as some pervert coming along and grabbing him, it was ridiculous. We were selling our house last year. A young couple with three young children loved the house, would love, to, would love to have had the house, but were concerned that because we were on a main county road, we're fenced in, there's a gate that somebody could stop on the road and reach across the fence, you know, and harm their children. I'm thinking, it's five stinking acres, my heavens. I mean, you're not even close to the road. You know, but that's the mindset that people have today about children. Listen, when it comes to pr the praying for protection for your children, you pray in faith, not in fear. You pray in faith, not in fear. Now let that sink in. You pray in faith, not in fear. If your child's image comes up before you and suddenly you're afraid, number one, you deal with the fear factor. And then number two, you take authority over whatever might be happening. But you deal with the fear first. God doesn't, has always never told us that we pray in fear. We pray in faith. Amen? Um, they need to understand that, and you need to understand, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's out there to do his best. And there are people who will help him accommodate that these days. So we pray for our children. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, Perilous times will come, and they have. Uh, Jesus walked in supernatural, divine protection. And there's no reason why our children can't walk in divine, supernatural protection today. Absolutely none. Uh, Psalm 91.2 Go over there. I want you to see some things. 
Psalms 91, verse 2. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God and him will I trust. As a parent, you need to say, I will say of the Lord, he is my children's refuge and my children's fortress. In him will I trust. Going on in verse 3. Surely he will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler, from the noise and pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shall you trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. This right here, verse 3, the snare of the fowler. You need to be praying that the enemy is unable to trap your children in any situation. Unable to trap them. Verse 3 again, it talks about perilous pestilence. There's where you pray, protection in there for their health and their well-being. Verse 5, the terror by night, the fear of anything that comes in the night. You know, do not instill fear in your children when you put them to bed at night. Sometimes, you know, is when they're little, you know, you want to go in and be able to check them, you need to leave a nightlight on. But the nightlight is for convenience, not from fear. Do you understand? I leave a nightlight on so I can make my way to the bathroom in the middle of the night and not stomp my toe. It's a convenience. It has nothing to do with whether there's a boogeyman under the bed. Furthermore, you don't need to let anybody talk to your kids about there being a boogeyman under the bed or on the door or behind the curtains, and you don't need to be letting them watch those stupid, scary movies. People open the door for that nonsense when they allow their children to watch those kind of things. The enemy comes in and gets a foothold in there. Don't help the devil do his job. Keep him from doing his job. Hallelujah. Then in verse 5, it also says the arrows by day. That is something or someone during their day that would cause them harm. It could be a bully at school. It could be someone influencing them to do wrong. It could be a, a teacher giving them a hard time. It could be uh, something that happens on field trips. You know, your child leaves the school. You need to pray for their protection that day. A school is a pretty contained place, but when you take kids out on a field trip, there are things that have happened. You just pray. Again, not in fear, in faith. Stay overs. No matter how much you think you know somebody, pray over them before they go. We have blended family situations today, unfortunately. But as a parent of a child, when they go to that non-custodial parents home you don't know what they might encounter there are a few situations I know of have heard of been amazed at where people have divorced and they're wonderful they're put they put their children's welfare on the top burner that's that's their most important thing that's great it's not always that way there are times, you know, when you have situations where there's 
parents, you know, of, of, you know, of children, and they have, to, they have to bounce back and forth between houses. You as a praying parent need to pray that while they're away from you, that they're not influenced by anything unwholesome, that they're protected from people who would harm them in any way, that they're not influenced badly to go a different direction than what you're instilling in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it happens. But you can take authority over that, and you can pray. You can pray. Be led. Um, verse 6, it talks about the pestilence that walks in darkness. Listen, there are things that are particularly evil and particularly ungodly that our children need to be protected from. You just, you know, you can pray this prayer over them. You know, you, you take the, like I said earlier, you take the word, you pray the word over them. You pray in the spirit over them. You're led in the specifics then. Uh, then it said destruction at noonday in verse 6. That's accidents of any kind. You know, years ago, uh, Pastor just had, uh, we had just gotten a new truck, and Pastor had, had let Greg take it and go to Gainesville, and just for a couple of days before that, he just had him on his heart, praying for him for his protection, and, and he had an accident that day, and the, and the truck was, was really damaged quite a lot, but and glass shattered, and so there was not one scratch on him. Not one scratch. Not one scratch. I heard somebody tell me a story years ago about how they woke up in the middle of the night and, and they'd had this dream that their son, who was riding a motorcycle at the time, that he had been killed. And they just went, oh, no. They didn't pray. Several days later, that happened. Don't you think God was trying to warn them? Not of what was to come, but what they could do to prevent it. You need to be open. You need to be paying attention. You need to be attentive to what the things of God are saying to you. And don't take, <clears throat> don't take a lot of things lightly. Now, if it's just fear the enemy's trying to bring to you, deal with it. But you can sense real quick, once you've dealt with the fear part, whether this is something I need to be praying about. And pray. Um... Though things happen, you know, we, are, we, are, we can be delivered from those things. We can. Our children can be delivered from them as well. Things can, can the enemy had planned never come to pass, and us never know what it might have been because we prayed about it ahead of time, took authority over it. And listen, parents, pray for your schools. Pray for your schools. We've seen a bad example in the last few years of things that can happen at schools. Just what happened recently, you know, in February down in Miami. Where were praying parents? Where were praying I bet you there were some. I bet you there were some. But you know what? If enough parents prayed over their kids' schools that the evil influences that the enemy would try to bring in there, the things he would like to do, that they come to nothing we would never see what happened in Miami. Never see it. Don't assume just because it's an elementary school. We saw that, you know, in Sandy Hook. Never assume just because it's an elementary school or a nursery school or whatever. You pray. When your child is away from you, you pray God's protection is around them, that his angels are encamped around about them, that they have protection on all sides, you know, and that they are they're constantly in his care, that he is their refuge and their fortress. Hallelujah. 
Uh, and with that, we will stop and we'll get to the last five next time. <laughs> we got to four. I was, I was hoping for four. Yay. <laughs> so we got through four. But this is important stuff. The enemy, I'll, I'm not going to go over a minute here. The enemy would love to sabotage the younger generations. And it's our job as godly parents to make sure he doesn't have ours. That they stay on the path that God intends for them to be on. And he will keep them in perfect peace and keep us in perfect peace as we do what we need to do in the natural and in the spiritual. So we'll talk about the next five next week. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.